thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen Sims, Captains and Commanders, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 129 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever. It was recorded on Friday, July 22nd, made it available for download Tuesday, July 26th, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Tony. And I'm Jeff. What do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, Sky Librarians everywhere have a reason to rejoice. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover the more lawless parts of space in Star Citizen. What elite dangerous is changing about blueprints as well as the latest on the alien mystery. And details on the forever patch as it marches towards Alpha for Infinity Battlescape. Next, we debate the best types of communication. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. Eagle-eyed listener Michael at the real Gremlich Nolan tweeted at us uh, and Twitterated to us, twitmissioned near us whatever uh this thing that is cool aerospace news remember the time in the 50s and 60s when the air force had to pay lots of money for damage caused by sonic booms generated by jets breaking the sound barrier yeah, i think i kind of remember yeah, that you, you remember you remember the remember the time in the 70s when you get on the, the concord if you're rich and you fly to london in like four hours Remember that? Remember that? I think I can remember that. You 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 remember that you couldn't fly from New York to L.A. in the Concorde because because Federal Aviation Administration they outlawed supersonic commercial flight over the continent in '73. You remember that? Uh, four hours, yeah. Okay, well you can forget all that nonsense. Okay, we live in the future now, which means you guessed it, the '70s are back. Hey, we're sending probes to Jupiter, we're watching hippies and Nazis protesting in the streets, and my brother-in-law is trying to grow a Tom Selleck mustache. Wait, was that more the 80s? Whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, as soon as you see bell-bottoms and disco make a comeback, you'll want to listen for the sweet, sweet sound of cross-country, transonic aviation once more. That distinctive yet dangerous sound means that we've tamed the winds, my friends. That's right, the sonic burp. Well, maybe more of a hiccup. Scientists with the NASA Quiet Supersonic Technology, or QUEST, that's, I don't like that, that, that acronym, um, the X-Plane program are gearing up to build a prototype airframe that will turn down the volume just a tad. With an anticipated drop from 90 decibels to 60 decibels, Lockheed Martin is hoping to drop the keep it down factor from levels comparable to Tony listening to Def Leppard's Hysteria album to... Tony talking politics with his baby boomer uncles. It's okay. It's actually pretty civilized, guys. We we keep it we keep it to a low roar. 
Anyway, if, uh, if all goes well, the window-shattering booms of the past will give way to the gentle double-thump heartbeat of modern aerodynamics. Now, if we could just quiet down the hippies and the Nazis and get those far-out disco tracks thumping. Keep on trucking, man. <laughs> Keep on trucking, brother. You you said it. It's funny because I I actually remember the sonic booms and and the whatnots of those mm-hmm. of that era, and actually flew on the Concorde once. So <laughs> you did? Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Where'd you go? Uh, France. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have we have in our esteemed guard frequency staff somebody who's flown faster than the wind, <laughs> faster than the speed of sound. Yeah. Jeff McComb, everybody. Well, that's that's awesome, man. Well, uh, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, that'll be more of a common thing in the future. If if you take a look at the link we have in the show notes, this thing looks this thing looks like some out of Flash Gordon, man. It's got a needle nose like half the length of the entire airplane. And it's all swoops and curves. It's kind of funny because um, Bo- my mom worked in on the SST program for Boeing. Right, you back mentioned in the that day. before. Yeah. It's kind of, it was kind of cool. I mean, <clears throat> hypersonic flight was all the rage. I mean, I'm surprised that we don't have more of it now. I mean, most of the stuff happens so high up in the air that I mean, it's by the time it hits the ground, it's really not that big of a deal. Well, I think the problem is mostly that the booms in this case were closer to the ground than with like military testing because the flight distances are a lot shorter. That's true. Uh, the fighter jets that hit Mach 1 and stuff are usually, you know, when they're training out, I mean, that's why some of their their uh, training areas are out in the desert where in no man's land because, I mean, they're doing nap, uh, napping and, and uh, you know, at supersonic speeds. It's like Wow. Well, this will be a good deal. If we can uh, jumpstart our aerospace programs by, uh, you know, a nice, peaceful commercial jetliner rather than, you know, world-destroying hypersonic bombs, hey, you know, I think that's probably a good thing. So, good luck, Lockheed Martin. Let's hope you do a bang-up job on this one just like you did with that other fighter program you're working on. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for July 22nd, 2016. 117,500,000 of about 160,000. 1.434 million registered accounts of about 22,000. And 1.027 million ships in the UAE fleet of about 3,400. Oh, this week, Mr. Ben Lesnick, sir, was unfortunately admitted to the hospital with severe flu-like symptoms. CIG team has assured everyone via tweets and messages that he is recovering, and Ben himself sent out a message thanking backers for their support. The latest information from CIG states that he should be out of the hospital, hopefully by the time this show airs. Thoughts and prayers of Guard Frequency are with Mr. Lesnick, who has been a die-hard supporter of the Chris Roberts Dream and CIG, as well as a gracious and informative interview subject for us and many other podcasts on more than one occasion. With the 10 for the series apparently undergoing overhaul, Around the Verse is really the only official source for development news coming out of CIG lately. Last week, they were still in their 100th episode cycle, focusing on Frankfurt. Apart from basking in the glory of Mr. Chambers' hair, we were provided with some more details about the new pirate base, Grimhex. 
The base is going to be located in the asteroid belt near Crusader's moon of Yila. Initially, it will only feature a central hub with some shopping sites and elevators that go to the communal landing areas. Plans for the future include a bar that will have an underground betting business focusing on races that will take place within the same asteroid. Whether these are player participant races or just NPC races that allow virtual gambling wasn't specified. The lawless element of the base is giving the devs some pause. They want to make it possible to get personal weapons into the area and create risk, but they don't want it to devolve into a constant deathmatch zone. Until they figure out this balance, the zone will prohibit personal weapons. They're targeting to get the basic version of the zone out for 2.5, with other features coming online in future patches. Interesting. You know, they could make uh, the zone non-lethal. I mean, you know, you fire whatever weapon to a point where they're non-lethal, I guess. I kind of like that. I, I'm a, I'll riff on that with you. How about that non-lethal weapons are permitted, but lethal ones are not? So you have to buy special pirate lawless weapons. Or does that turn into even more of a griefer zone? That, you know, you're incapacitated or whatever, but you don't actually die and get transported out of the zone into the medical bay. It's just, you know... Someone knocks you out, then you regain consciousness 15 seconds later, and the guy is spawn camping you, and he knocks you out again. I think the ultimate key to this is going to be some sort of, like, delayed NPC authority intervention. Like, maybe if you're on Terra or Earth, if you somehow get a weapon in there, the minute you draw it, you're shut down before you can even pull the trigger. In here, maybe you can draw the weapon, get, like, five or six shots off, then you're taken down by the authorities. So there's a risk, and it is possible to actually perpetrate some violence, but it's not like one person violating it is suddenly going to cause a cascade reaction that will last forever because everybody's going to have about two seconds to do what they want to do before they get locked down. Well, I don't know about the authority thing, though. It doesn't play well with this lawless area as far as gameplay. Well, yeah, but... I mean, even a lot of places or fiction that depicts lawless zones, there's some sort of, like, crime cartel or crime boss that is actually in control of the area. And nobody whacks nobody without the boss's say-so, huh? Right. So it's like, you know, you've got one guy that shoots somebody else dead, and then all the thugs close in, and there's a brief interrogation about, okay, why is this guy bleeding all over my floor? So if they could set that up in a believable fashion, I think it would be a nice mix of what they want, which apparently is, if you go there, you're accepting a certain amount of risk that something may happen to you, or you may see something that's outside the norm of civilized society, but it's not the nightmare scenario of, oh, good, I landed on this planet, Therefore, if I leave my ship, I'm either going to die immediately or be limping across the landscape as I'm stunned and revive and stunned and revived ad infinitum. How about this virtual gambling thing? I'm a little bit confused and afraid of this virtual gambling thing. Yeah, I'm too. I I don't know what to make of that. I mean, well, you know, I I think they haven't worked it. I think it's, it's a hook that they haven't defined yet. If it's for script that you can only buy stuff in the cartel money or whatever. Maybe. Jeff, are you talking about another currency? Are you talking about introducing oh, another yeah, currency? Yeah. In okay, game? you're right. Ostron, pull out soapbox. Let's do No, I'm not. No, don't, don't pull out the soapbox. I, I am going to set the soapbox on fire before I let you talk about multiple <laughs> currencies again. Well, I, 
I am going to just mention real briefly that when I first saw that, what I immediately went to was the Dabo game in Star Trek Online. Oh, yeah. And Dabo will reward you gold-pressed latinum, which anybody who plays Star Trek Online knows is worthless, which I find hilarious because the Ferengi are like, you know, the, the super traders of the galaxy and the stuff that they Yeah, you, you could buy starships with gold-pressed latinum in the Star Trek universe. I mean... Yeah, but in this, you can buy model starships in the Star Trek Online universe, which, is, I mean, it's just it's absolutely pointless. So if you're going to do virtual gambling of any kind, the kind of rewards you're going to have to give would be, you know, would be constrained to give. I mean, that's that would just be a headache and a half that really at this stage of development, they do not need to tackle. Well, moving on to the universe of Elite Dangerous. Our question is, is it about to get Eliter Dangerouser? That's what's on the minds of a lot of players these days, particularly those who find themselves around Jacques Station for the community goal. The routes are long and the commodities themselves, well, best not to mention them. On their own, it wouldn't be much of an issue, but recently the sounds generated by the awakened unknown probe items have been decrypted and seem to contain images hidden in the audio signal, a la Contact with Jodie Foster. Even stranger, these signals seem to be a map or key of some sort. Combine this with the aforementioned commodities and lengthy treks, and you get a lot of players out there in the deep black becoming increasingly worried about alien incursions. At this point, who's to say what the truth is? Are the pilots right to be cautious, or is it just good old-fashioned paranoia? Either way, something tells me we'll have our answer probably sooner than we'd like. Aside from scaring the potato salad out of us with the threat of alien attacks, the guys and gals over at Frontier have been busy creating the latest update, which, as we discussed a few weeks ago, is to include some revisions to the blueprint requirements. We'll link to the upcoming changes in our show notes. We have an image and a handy Excel spreadsheet for you all to pour over. Now, regular listeners of this show will know that here at The Guard, we spare no expense when it comes to the research. In fact, we even went so far as to not even put our top men on it. That's right, we put our research badgers fully on the case. The badgers, not being used to a HOTUS setup, found the controls fiddly. But after some little practice and a whole lot of scratching and clawing, they managed to make some proto-radiolic alloys. They passed their findings to the lab rats who are still analyzing the results, but things are starting to look good. Currently, it appears that there are no more need for regular commodities and crafting which means conventional cargo space will not be required. That's something that I think we can all agree is pretty darn great. I am pretty glad to see that they're making some tweaks to the crafting system. I, I've attempted a, the bare minimum of it, and I find it quite um, fiddly. Yeah, the Badgers found it fiddly, and I, and I agree with the research Badgers 100%. It's like much in the Elite Universe, it's not terribly intuitive. If you want to play that game, you really have to kind of go out of your way to, to, to get it done. But uh, it, it's good to see that they're you know, making those adjustments. It's good to start with it too hard and ratchet it back rather than start it off easy and then realize you have to uh, hype it up a little bit. So good on them for making those continual I, I still and, haven't um, logged in and played since the last patch. You really should. I mean, again, it's, they've made some quality of life improvements. The, the intercept messages, uh, big scary aliens. I don't think I'll be jumping the 9,000 light years out to Jacques because I get bored after about 10 jumps. Back of the envelope calculations, you're talking three to 400 jumps to get out to that station with a, a cargo load of whatever it is. So if you'll remember last week, we uh, had a patch in Infinity Battlescape that we dubbed the Forever Patch. Uh, well, it appears to be living up to its name as it's still not out. Unfortunately, uh, well, you know, or fortunately, depending on your viewpoint, Inove found a couple of blockers that prevented them from releasing the patch. 
However, they're pleased to report that those are now fixed. They're entering the final phase of testing, after which, hopefully, the next patch will be released. According to Flavian, it should be landing by the end of the week. So with any luck, those of you listening on Tuesday will have already got your hands on it. For the curious, the patch is due to include a bunch of new content, tweak, and performance improvements. Gee, Inove, could you possibly make the patch notes a little vaguer? I think I managed to skim some detail off that one. On a more serious note, things that we definitely know that are coming include new space stations, new cockpit interiors, the atmospheric flight model no longer capping speeds at 300 meters per second as each ship will have its own drag coefficient, physics will now run in a separate thread making things a little more stable, and there will be general improvements to lighting to stop the light bleeding line between shadow cascades. On the artistic side of things, we're continuing on two ships in particular, the Interceptor and the NPC Hauler. These ships are going into production pipe first and are being used as space guinea pigs for experiments surrounding the geometry, textures, and materials. Once Flavian and company are happy that they've got the look and feel right, they'll be able to save certain presets and get the rest of the ships through the pipeline all in time for that sweet first release of Alpha. Speaking of Alpha, it would appear that we're not very far away from the first release. Keith, co-founder and CEO, commented on the recent weekly update that the art team have some small ships to finish off in preparation for the Alpha in a couple of weeks, air quotes. They'll also need to begin the concept phase for upgrading the HUD and in-game menu system. At the same time, engineering is getting the networking updates underway, all pointing towards a possible launch within the next couple of months. Uh, that sounds awfully optimistic. I don't know. Are we allowed to be that optimistic on this show? Uh, well, you know us. We're not optimistic ever. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure there was some sort of corporate guard frequency policy that whatever the developer says, we have to add 60 to 90 days to it. Exactly. Well, I pretty think, sure. I think technically we were quoting expectations that came from the developers, so that isn't actually our opinion. So we might be in the clear. I that it mm, man that's man I don't think we can do that. Um, somebody um, call I'm, legal. Can I get a, an opinion on uh, this, hello? please? Yes. Legal. Hi. Yeah. Hello. Yes. Hello. Yes. Yes. I'm right here. Yes. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah, you would no, like an good. opinion on this last statement, please? Yeah. Let's not believe them. Okay. Let's, let's go ahead and push it back a couple more months after that. Yeah. But and again, it's all fair in software development, right? I mean, you you, you squash the big bugs, and then you know, it's like, hey, we got to go have a steam coming until. You know, I like, you know, well, we'll get these presets done, right? And it'll be awesome because we can just, you know, rapidly export, you know, all the materials and settings to the next two or three models until you discover that there was a hidden flaw in the thing you exported. And now all of your models have to be sort of tweaked. So, I mean, that sort of stuff just happens. But it's cool. It's cool. You know, again, progress being made. Patch will be released. Everything will be fine. So can I ask an ignorant Rube question? Uh, let me get the ignorant rube department on the line. Hello, ignorant rube department. Uh, yeah, yes, hello? yes, we're here. Oh, okay, okay, good. We yeah, we got it. We got him on the line. Go ahead, go ahead, Astro. Okay, so in the beginning, it said people will have the patch in their hands by the time the show airs, but then later on, it talks about the launch of the alpha. So are these two different, like, modules yeah. or something? No, I, I think that it's backer access. I may not have that exactly correct, but I think there are some people who are testers, and I think that Alpha might be a slightly wider release. We'll get a research badger on that right away, and if I'm wrong, 
oh, the internet will come down upon me like a sack of bricks and it'll be fine. I mean, on my first unofficial outing, people already called me, you know, wrong and ignorant. So this will just sort of add to that mythos. I, it, it works. It works. You know, you're getting getting your you know school hard knocks. You're getting your first licks in. He'll be all right, man. He'll be okay. Well, with any with any story, you need to have the one guy who has no clue what's going on to provide opportunity for exposition. So, uh, you know, I think one guy not going what's going on. We shoot for a little higher, Ostron, around here. I don't know. We have we have standards. We can have two or three of us not know what's going on. I think I think that's really what we're aiming for here, at guard frequency, that professional level of quality where we're all completely in the dark. Hence the need for the research badgers. The research, I mean, I mean, we don't want to put them out of work, do we? No. No, we don't. An unemployed badger is a dangerous thing. Legal issues seem to be plaguing the space sim world lately, seemingly right after Hello Games cleared up their issues with B Sky B over the use of Sky in their title, Dutch company Genicap has come forward claiming that the super formula used by Hello Games as part of its procedural generation algorithm is, in fact, owned by them, and no license was given out for the No Man's Sky devs to use it. Jenny Cap spokesman Haran Sparrow says that they have no desire to delay the launch of No Man's Sky, but they do want to have a chat with Hello Games. Their claim seems to be based on two pieces of information. First, Hello Games dev Sean Murray did an interview in 2015 where he said that he relied on a so-called super formula to clear up problems with procedural generation. He revealed that the formula came from a plant geneticist who published it in 2003. That tidbit is item number two. The geneticist in question is Johan Gilles, who is on the board of Genicat and apparently holds a patent on the formula. For analysis of the likely implications of this challenge, we turn to guard frequency legal consultant Tony Hunter. Hey, legal! Don't shout him right here! <clears throat> now, of course, as we all know, that my uh, opinions are offered for educational and entertainment purposes only. For real legal advice, please consult a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction. <clears throat> Having said that, this is a bunch of <laughs> as we refer to it in the legal world. Uh, you can't patent an equation. That's not a thing you're allowed to do. Now, I believe if I have the if I've got the, my research and facts right here, I did not have the research badgers double check me though. So, so you know, be careful with this information. But the patent was for the implementation of this equation in computer software. So that's pretty goddamn broad. And the plant geneticist type of this was, he, I think, describing and coming up with a method of leaf pattern generations. If you just go to the Wikipedia page for the super formula, you'll see that the number and variety of shapes you can make by tweaking the six variables in the equation are many and varied. It can be used for generating random plants, could be used for generating random animals, spaceship parts, space station parts, continents. I mean, you can really see how this super formula probably did solve a lot of problems for the team. But again, an equation, something that can be written out by hand, solved by hand, or with the use of a simple calculator, not patentable. So if they took the formula as written and plopped it into their own computer program, it's kind of questionable whether or not Genicap could enforce that patent restriction against Hello Games. The timing of this is really where I get suspicious. Because if they're basing this off of a 2015 article, they could have approached Hello Games at any point in the last year going, hey, need a little piece of the action, pal. But they chose to do it after the game went gold. 
Oh, we don't want to hold up your release, but golly, we've got this outstanding legal issue. You wouldn't want that to be bad, would it? So this is pretty much, I think, patent troll writ large. Don't see anything contradicting that idea right now. Yeah, I remember something like that. You can't patent the algorithm because it's a formula, but you can patent the application in which the algorithm is used in. Yeah, sure. but as as Tony said, they tried to patent the formula for use in computer programs, which if that holds up, that's going to be a hugely yeah, I, dangerous precedent. Yeah. <laughs> the, the calculation has to be genetics company has to take on gigantic multinational entertainment company and their army of lawyers and expect to win. I mean, stranger things have happened in the world of, of patent litigation, but it doesn't seem like a real responsible calculation. They should settle up quickly and quietly and for a small amount of money as a here take this and go away kid uh, sort of situation but now it's time for news we didn't use Minor Mayhem is coming to the Descent Underground Proving Grounds on Monday. Enjoy a new, cool mode of play that allows players to rescue a bunch of honorary miners that are running out of oxygen. No Man's Sky has released its second gameplay trailer focusing on space and ground combat. Survivor Mode also comes to Descent Underground's Proving Grounds on Monday, along with a new map, new paint jobs, persistent lobby, European servers, and all modes move to objective rather than kill only. In the modern Kickstarter and indie developer universe that's producing space sims nowadays, consumers have become used to getting developer updates from the studios. Apart from the novelty of getting to see how the sausage is made, this isn't very new. Even large corporate studios produce press releases and patch notes for everyone to read. But now on the scene we have CIG and Descendant Studios who give the majority of their development updates in full streaming video first, and then text later if they decide it's necessary. When it first started, it was touted as a way to increase backer trust and engagement by showing the real people who are making the games. But what has time told us at this point? Does having real people in front of the camera giving updates and answering questions increase the connection one feels to the process? Or is it taking awkward, introverted developers, forcing them in front of camera equipment the studios had to buy, and just muddying the flow of information as a result? Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us the value of video dev updates. Tony doesn't believe anything unless he can print it out and read it on paper, while Jeff has watched so much video he actually doesn't know how to read anymore. So, Tony, why are video dev updates pointless and unnecessary? Ostron, they are pointless and unnecessary because they are connections to the people making the games, not the process of making the game itself. Uh, we've noticed time and time again that once a developer who's gotten a connection to the community uh, is uh, leaving for another job, People tend to start to wonder what the stage of the game's development are. They worry over the succession, and they stop worrying about the process of the game making uh, itself. So I think that it becomes more of a distraction when you involve the personalities rather than the cold, hard date. Tony, you ignorant slut. I can remember back in the day of early betas and, and where no communication was coming out of the devs, and, and we were screaming on the boards for data and what their progress was. 
The whole idea of video has shown us that devs are willing to engage with their community and because they engage with us, we feel more confident about the game's progress. Jeff, well, I can appreciate the, the need for confidence in the game's progress. What actually makes the confidence is concrete facts. Not, hey, trust me guys, I'm the familiar face you've seen. Oops, now I'm gone and some other person has to come in here. That doesn't breed confidence when inevitable personnel changes happen. I think it's important that the facts get put on paper, there for review, there for the record, for us to look back on over the history of the development of the game. Tony, you ignorant lawyer. The fact is that, that some modes of communication are outdated. They just don't, they just don't cut it anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you like the paper, but video relays so much more than what you can just read. It can read, you know, you can look at them and say, oh, well, hey, that's true or that's not true. You can look at, uh, uh, maybe they want to show you some of the content, which you can't get on regular printouts. Okay, all right, so, so Ostron. You're the moderator, you're both sides. What's your verdict, sir? Well, I like Jeff's point that the old texts and just bulleted list of information is sort of outdated in the modern media sphere, but I can't get over the fact that so many of the video updates... I mean, I wrote the intro, so I sort of showed my cards there, but you're taking a lot of people who either aren't used to or don't like to be on camera and you're putting them there and forcing them to talk about their job which computer programmers and computer professionals have a hard enough time describing what they're doing in terms that the modern layman can understand that's right you wouldn't get me on camera yeah doing it on camera just adds another layer of anxiety and it just it opens the door for so many problems because i mean how many of cig's faux pas and disasters have related to information that was either prematurely given out on a video well, or misinterpreted What are we talking about here, though? Are we talking about CIG's uses of the media or the media in general? Because I will agree with you on CIG's uses of the media and not on the medium itself. Well, I just think, like, I've, I haven't watched as many of them, but I've seen some of the dissent underground videos the descendant studio videos and i mean wingman and the other guy that defected from cig whose name is escaping me all, all of them yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, you're probably talking about design apotamus yeah rob, rob. Okay. like both of them are fully comfortable with their roles on camera but whenever they bring anyone else on it they're sort of halting and awkward or they're hamming it up too much and I can't help but think of the amount of time and resources that are going into producing and maintaining and editing these videos that require that extra layer of monitoring and expense that wouldn't be there if they were just doing text output. The balance, I think, is what do you intend for that to do? Is it really a patch note thing or is it a marketing thing? Process versus the personalities. If people are interested in the process, then they really go need to go read the patch notes. You can't substitute a punch list of here's all the issues that we've tackled, here are the issues that are outstanding. If you're interested in the personalities, if you're interested in who is it that's making the game and you want to engage in it in a more personal level, I think that you need the videos. Uh, I think they're a fine marketing tool, but recognize the limitations. And like you're saying, like you guys are saying, you know, script it carefully because they're going to link what you wrote to what you said. 
and if the two don't match up, it's the personalities that are going to suffer, right? You know, anybody can make a typo or, oh, that was an old list and we didn't delete the right thing or whatever. But if you're on camera saying something and then it turns out not to be true, it's a tightrope. You've got to run. So I think it was Ostron, you were saying, you know, uh, you can see these people, right, if they're nervous or if they're confident. But I think that both of those things are problematic. Nervousness, obviously, is not a great camera presentation and might shake people's confidence in the, uh, you know, in what that guy's saying. On the other hand, confidence that doesn't end up coming true with the delivery, I think that bites you in a different way. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's great marketing, but it can be real dangerous. Well, now you know our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question, are video developer updates helping to engage and interest backers or are they frivolous waste since written updates are clearer and more informative? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up on the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! Some say his quiche recipe stopped a Basque revolt in the 1970s, but that his taste for mohair jackets actually started it. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Is there value in having a gameplay mechanic that sees players forcing the advancement of primitive aliens, or is the current leave them be or plunder them choice sufficient? Your feedback was as follows. Odin Omen chimed in and said, My preference is for players to be free to interact with alien civilizations as they choose. To provide a mechanic allowing people to act like they would in real life seems appropriate and more immersive. The more immersive, the more value. Instituting a prime directive like in Star Trek would be fun, but being allowed to break the rules is where great storylines can begin. Sean Newboy says, Wonderful show, everyone. Sorry to hear about Lennon. As for the CQ, I agree with Odin. And Druid writes in and says, An information-packed show this week, gentlemen. Ortwin, is it just me or does he sound like a bully used to getting his way? Granted, I've seen very little of what he does, only a few excerpts, as it were, but it sounds to me that he should stop trying to, quote, help. The Prime Directive, in a word, idiotic. Like many such things, it's too all or nothing, which in general is a bad thing if you see what I did there. I think it's a good idea, things like exploitation and cultural contamination which you did not touch on, are certainly concerns, but the Prime Directive does not leave much room for help for less advanced species with things that are beyond their ability to handle, such as extreme natural disasters. For instance, the TNGS episode where Data has a radio pen pal and Picard's reaction to it. I think not helping in that situation, which they eventually did, would have been the immoral thing to do. How to handle this in, in games is a bit more nebulous. As for Lennon's leaving, I'll miss the dulcet tones of that lovely British accent, but I wish him well and look forward to any cameos that may happen in the future. Osteron, I welcome you, but you have a lot to live up, or is it down to? Keep up the great work, everyone. Elwook says, You will never have the same credibility without the sweet, sweet, non-continental Eurotones of Lennon. Ignorance thoughts will therefore run rampant. As a Canadian, I will miss those metric conversions. It would make sense to leave these civilizations in peace, but we all know that won't be fun. You're going to want to trade and barter with these dudes with all your fancy tech, and others will terrorize them because they are online dictators to be. Pox says leave or plunder is not sufficient. Great games allow a player to do more than just do or do not. 
Games that allow a player a range of choices will always be superior. Subjects like this one are especially entertaining because an argument can be made for either extreme, and potential for middle ground approaches are endless. I always assumed the primitive life mechanic used in space games in the past had more to do with tech limitation than anything else. My favorite game that allows me more choice on how I interact with primitive groups is Civilization V. I look forward to space games that can allow for such challenges. Amontillado writes in and says, It very much depends on the scope of the game. It's not dependent on the morality or validity of the prime directive type policy, but rather on what the general play goals of the game are. To have a mechanic where a player can advance a civilization in big capital letters suggests a game that focuses on long-term cultural and technological advancement. It also suggests a great deal of power in the hands of the player. In games where the scope is more focused to the character level, it seems to me that such a macro level systems are out of place. It would require systems and resources to a degree that the focus of the game would shift away from the hands of the personal experience and instead be dictated to those for the far-reaching societal changes. It could be fun, but it's not appropriate to all games. That's pretty spot-on statement there. I like the con- the comparison to Civilization V, which is funny because you put it on all caps here, because you know, Civilization V, as, as regular listeners may know, is my crack. That is that is my heroin. It, it is my um, name something else addictive. Whatever it is, that's me. So, but yeah, I think the, the you had these city-states, you could treat with them diplomatically, you could sort of dominate them culturally. They would either give you tributes or, you know, contribute to your empire and various resources like cultural points and things like that. That they did have a variety of ways you could interact with them, but they were all on that like high-level societal size scale. In a space sim or something like that, you're supposed to be dealing with individual actions, you know, a NPC or a village or a trading post or something like that. So it's a good point. It's seems to be built for more like a civilization type game well but i mean it has been done in like the game i'm thinking of is uh mass effect i mean obviously the conceit is that you have a lot more influence in galactic politics as an individual person than is possibly believable but you can influence you know large-scale policy based on your choices in certain quests and completing certain objectives one way versus another and the elite model is one you know, sort of hybrid uh, way maybe to do it. You know, if you have a faction or a group that's like, we've got to, you know, raise these poor savages out of their ignorance. They just need our help. Then everybody in the galaxy brings them computers or something, fire and wheels to help advance their technology, make a community goal. And if you hit a certain threshold, everybody in that society now has access to fire, wheels, medicine, pottery. You know, I'm borrowing from civilization here. You raise a good point with Mass Effect, which is a game series I love. But remember that the main protagonist in that game is also a honored character, so to speak, a a person of larger than life ego. Though it's not his ego, it's what the universe has made him ego. And so he's going to have a greater effect on those uh, cultures that he runs into. However, uh, on another point, when you're talking about the Star Trek universe type of prime directive i think more than kirk i think picard portrayed that there were times when he broke the prime directive and there were times when he upheld the prime directive based on his conscience and that's just it though i guess if you have a mechanic in a game like that it's going to be left to the player's conscience and as we all know there are more online dictators than there are online angels so to speak 
affecting like large societal change in terms of, as you said, Tony, like having different groups attempting to uplift a civilization would probably be something that would have to be like a core game mechanic. But I would even just like to see like maybe one-off quests, sort of like from the Star Trek episodes, uh, like the Next Generation one that Druid mentioned, where you've got you know this choice of there's something that's about to happen to this planet of like primitive space armadillos and usually it's a choice that's like it it doesn't involve them or all at all you know there's this asteroid heading for the planet you can either destroy it and save them or just let it hit them and they all die but you get access to a whole bunch of new mineral resources I would like to see maybe two more choices there where one is go down, set up like asteroid deflection technology on their planet and show them how to use it, or pick up the whole society and forcibly remove them to a different planet. Sure. You know, I, do, you guys, uh, do you guys fans of the C.S. Uh, Lewis books, I think is uh, the author, C.S. For- Forrester, no, it's Forrester, the Horatio Hornblower books? Oh, yeah, I've read all of, I know Horatio very well. As a young kid, that's I led my life on the sea. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're a fantastic series of books. Highly recommend them to anybody. But one of the later books of the series, I think it was the, the Admiral Hornblower book, the Admiral Hornblower character goes aboard a ship that's bound for France. Oh, It's about yeah. to reignite Napoleon. And he goes on board, you know, spoiler alert, these books are only 50 years old, I don't feel bad. <laughs> um, Spoiler alert, he goes onto the uh, onto the Frenchman's ship and he says, dude, you know, I know you're out there, uh, you know, you're ready to you know, fight for your, your emperor and stuff, but I'm telling you, my word as an officer, Napoleon's dead. There's no point. Now, in, in Hornblower's mind, he was telling an outright lie to save the peace, but he, he knew that he was ruined. And he got back on his boat, the French people gave up, they sailed back to wherever they were going. And he got on the boat to England, and he marched his ass, his happy ass, right into the first sea lord or whatever. And just as he's about to open his mouth and spill the beans and say, I confessed, I gave my word as an officer, and I lied. You're going to have to strip me of my rank and titles and all this stuff. My career is over. But before he gets a chance to say it, they go, did you hear? Napoleon's dead. <laughs> and he's like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> but, but, I, but, I mean, he, was, he, was, he broke the rules, but he was ready and willing to accept the consequences. That's fantastic gameplay. Yeah. If, if, as you were mentioning, Ostron, if you have the opportunity to do something that's, quote, unethical or something that should be penalized or rewarded according to the game mechanics, and you're willing to accept those consequences, make that trade-off. But that gets down to the term unethical. I mean, really, if it's moralistically correct, is it really unethical? Ethics is the choice between two competing morals. I mean, you've got two things that are right, quote, right. Save lives, don't interfere with developing civilizations, right? If you consider that a moral, the ethical thing to do. So we is, let society judge our our ethics based on our moral decisions. Kinda, yeah. One for the philosophers. Okay, wait, wait. This I mean, is the getting idea too is deep. That, uh, now yeah. I'm showing. Yeah, exactly. We are way we are <laughs> way is, in the weeds at this I, point here. I'm sorry, I brought a horn blower. <laughs> now we're getting all nerdy and thinky about stuff. Now we're showing our intelligence, and I'm getting yeah, into the conversation want that. here. <laughs> People aren't going to believe we rely on those research badgers. They're not going <laughs> to believe us for a second. Yeah. 
In general feedback, Rambo says, so what did Jeff think of the subscriber reverse the verse, now known as Town Hall, on the topic of network structure? Take it away, Jeff. Well, I looked and looked and I, I watched the last three uh, reverse the verse and I didn't see anything other than some uh, stuff on the down, on the new download. Um, I went back, you know, three of them. So if you have a, happen to have a link directly to it, I'll be happy to watch it. I'd be excited to watch it and uh, give you my feedback. I'll let you know, I might have missed it because I skipped through a lot of the little fancy artsy things like, you know, ship colors and interior specs. And so it was in there, squeezed in there between that and something else. I probably missed it. All right, Rambus, it's on you, man. Tell Jeff where to look and uh, he'll sit down in his comfy leather chair and have the research badgers cue that up for him. Haramis says, I'm a little sad over the Brexit. Wish you good luck, Lennon, and hope to hear you from time to time again. Mad Wolf, hey, long time no talk to you. I'm deeply saddened now. Who will be the human Euro dance beatbox and, and and who will tell us stories about drinking tainted coffee that is not coffee, then sits up in the hospital getting his stomach pumped? And, and who will speak to us in cowboy impressions? And who is going to hate achievements and games and achievement sound effects that make them when you earn them? Now I know the, how the EU felt. I shall miss you, you British cowboy. I shall miss you. Best of luck. I can cover maybe three out of four of those, but yeah, I'm going to fall short. Yeah, well, British cowboy. I want to hear your British cowboy. No, I, no, I you really, really do. don't. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Foley says, legs it. Damn it, Lennon. All the SC podcasts are American and Canadian. Fine. I'll make my own podcast with British accents, blackjack, and hookers. In fact, forget the blackjack. You will be missed, though. Man of Flesh 101 says, Oh, I get that Depeche Mode reference. Good for you. <laughs> Smiley face. Splice Point writes in and says, Terrific. Thanks for the shout out and helping me fill in the last episode on the status of limit theory. I agree with you guys that solo developer deserves a bit more slack, but it would be nice to see a little more frequent communication. Wishing Josh all the best of luck on completing limit theory. Bob Sled 642 says, Sad to see Lennon Rich retiring. Ken from Chicago says, I was just joking about Lennon forming guard frequency to cover Star Britizen. <laughs> uh, Permanent Starlight writes in and says, No! Bummed out at Lennon Rich's announcement. Please do pop in the future when you can. And Zenowin uh, also writes in and gave a rather lengthy analysis of the Street Roller refund. This was the refund we covered in uh, last week's uh, Star Citizen segment about... Uh, uh, with the Attorney General and the uh, Department of Consumer Affairs in L.A. County. We had to kind of cut it for time, but I wanted to address one of his points. He writes in and says, I agree that a $60 package is refundable. It's a game you paid for, after all. But a pledge for more than that was to fund development and help make the game better. Looking at the game now, I think it did help and it will be completed. But what he did was buy ships for the PU, then decided he didn't want those ships, so he tried to get them refunded. Maybe he even decided he didn't like flying ships anymore. Either way, it was a dishonest move, and while I would refund his original package, I wouldn't refund the rest. P.S. Ortwin should afford it to legal and had them at least review it before he sent it out. So, many, many happy returns to, uh, to Mr. Lennon Rich. We, sure that, uh, we assure you that you heard his voice even though he wasn't reading the words. Uh, so, he's, he's still around, and I'm sure he's uh, very grateful to everybody for, uh, for their well wishes and thoughts. But he'll be back. Uh, we'll, he'll be back once his, uh, things get settled down in real life a little more uh, for him. Keep, keep you listening. He'll, you'll hear his dulcet tones once again. But on the topic of Zenowin's 
refund analysis, you're correct in that the spirit of the Kickstarter is you crowdfund an initial pledge, that's your pledge, that's your ticket to go. If you add stuff in later, that's more like, hey, you're encouraging and that's extra money to spend on the development. That was the sort of the pitch, right? That's sort of the sales pitch, the marketing design, the idea that uh, that the ongoing ship sales and stretch goals were communicated to the community. That's true. The fine print in the terms of service said it's done by X date plus 18 months, and at that time, you're entitled to this, and that is either a refund or a complete accounting. So, yes, you're right that that is the philosophy uh, or the or the uh, marketing strategy that CIG employed, the message they're sending, but the fine print says what it says. And if you haven't downloaded 2.4, then you're under those old terms of services, and as of May 31st of this year, you were entitled by contract, either a refund or an accounting. It's just that simple. You know, uh, I do want to say that on, on Lennon's leaving, I now have a new excuse for when I screw up when reading copy, I can just say, oh, Lennon wrote that. Whether he did or not. Exactly. <laughs> it's important to blame him when he's not here to defend himself. Right. I think that's key. Because yep. yep. I, yep. I loved it when you guys did that to me. Absolutely. When you're not here, we beat the hell out of you. That's what we do. That's I, love. I believe man. there was, that's at one point, there was a whole minute-long blooper segment about it. <laughs> I, I got we'll, to sit, we'll beat that easily. I, I got to sit, we'll beat that easily. I got to sit there listening to you guys go, what? The, did this guy learn how to write from coyotes? Like, what is wrong here? <laughs> so... Well, you know, it's I, I bag on Jace for his extremely, uh, you know, uh, graduate school level sub sentence, you know, ness. Lennon never actually learned to use punctuation, I don't think, uh, and uh, and it was so you know. Well, he learned British punctuation, which is a, a run on sentence. Yeah, well, so. yeah, that, that must be what it is. Uh, so we'll we'll find we'll find new and interesting ways to bag on Lennon while he's not here. That's for sure. It's only fair. And our new Patreon this week is Odin Omen. And the winners of a brand new patch are Odinotaman, Crazy Random Happenstance, back today and find out. And this week's community question, are video developer updates helping to engage and interest backers, or are they a frivolous waste since written updates are clearer and more informative? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So, how was the show? Was it a cinematic epic, or should we just throw the script in the bin? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on the show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email at squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 129 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 130 on August 2nd, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on a Friday night, well, you can always join us here live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 4 a.m. GMT. 
Do you like what we do? You want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Well, drop us a line to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week over week, and hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMOs, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin's Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writers, Jace Pentad and Kin Shadow, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music on our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for July 23rd, 2016. It's still July 22nd here. Let me try that again. Beep, beep. Our Star Citizen crowd. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for July 23rd, 2016. I did it again. I'm going to actually <laughs> delete it this time because I forgot that that's what I was going to do. As we discussed a few weeks ago, is to include some revisions to the blueprint. Yeah. Now, regular listeners of this show will know that where we are. <laughs> You're infectious. Now, regular listeners of this show will know here at Gerd. <laughs> They're a little messy at first. The Badgers not being used to. Oh God! Who wrote this? This is this is all Lennon. This is his his gift to us. He he truly has not left us. Yeah, I can see that. Oh my God! I just got these pictures of badgers playing with a hood. Badgers with joysticks. Yes. Oh, show title. Badgers with joysticks. Badgers with joysticks. The Badgers, not being used to a Hoda setup, found the controls fiddly. <laughs> now you, now you're, now you're thinking of Badgers playing fiddles, aren't you? <laughs> I, I tried to hold that in, but I could. Okay. <clears throat> if Lennon hadn't quit, I'd fire him. <laughs> <laughs> no. The Badgers, not being used to a Hoda setup, found the controls fiddly. But after some little practice and a whole lot of scratching and clawing, they me <laughs> proto. <laughs> oh, God. Now you're thinking of badgers with lab coats on, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, lactating badgers. <laughs> lactating? I said lab coats. Wow. No, we're sticking with badgers with joysticks. We're not doing lactating badgers. Okay. No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. That that word, by the way, is radiolic. <laughs> I was looking forward to three or four more bloopers. But okay, <laughs>
<laughs> hey, I, ju- I just said it. History indicates there's no guarantee that's going to be picked up on the first pass. <laughs> oh, They're entering the final phase of testing, after which, hopefully, again, the net- netched patch. On the realistic side of things, we're continuing on the two well, ships in particular. What? Artistic. artistic. I said artistic. No, you said realistic. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Oh. We've got okay. it on tape. It's okay. Now it's time for news. No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> There's a whole No Man's Sky section that oh, you I actually have. too a... far down. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I realize you're not really sold on the game, Jeff, but it is still sort of obligated that we talk about it. I know. I know. Part of its procedural generation algorithm. Damn. Well, well, I think that if we can, <laughs> hang on. Well, come back later, well, for all well, you loyal it... listeners, when we actually got it together. Yeah. <laughs> See, I told you we screw up this segment good and proper. Well, is a deep subject. And it's ha- it's happening even as we speak. It. Uh, put a bow on it. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll put a bow on it. Oh, Jeff, you said something, and then Ostron said something, and then I was going to say something, and then.